0: So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30.
1: Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. And as always, I'm joined by...
0: Adam from Adamian Golf. So one of
1: our missions on this show is to help everyone wrap their head around the game of golf. We know on some level we all struggle with being on the course... And our reactions to shots, uh, our expectations of what's going to go on. It has ramifications for our enjoyment level, our mental state, strategic decisions. It's everything. And one of our most popular guests, a man who has made managing expectations his, his mission in life, mainly through <laughs> statistics, a popular guest on The Sweet Spot, is back. We have Lou Stagner. Welcome, Lou.
2: Hey, guys. It's good to see you. It's good to be back.
1: Yes, so we've done over the last year. We've we've slowly gone through everything. We've done approach shots, wedge play, putting, and then we've we've saved perhaps the most interesting and important topic. It's the most important, but it's one of the most important. We're going to do tee shots today, Lou. Right? The big dog. The yeah, big, dog. big dog, or maybe and and less than big dog too, because we yeah, got a lot of we got a lot of people not hitting the big dog off the tee, and we'll maybe you got some stats on that. So I think we're ready to Lou. If you don't follow him on Twitter, he is sharing awesome data. Recently, he's like unleashed the Arcos database on everyone. I know for a while, I think on a lot of our episodes, we didn't have full access to Arcos yet, if I'm remembering correctly, Lou. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, Yeah. now you have, you have really run through it a bit. So we're going to go through some of your, your greatest hits of data here. You're tracking millions of golf shots from golfers around the world on there. So yeah, let's get into it.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a huge data set, by the way. How many I shots mean, do you have now? I think they're up to about 575 million shots. To put that in perspective, <laughs> Shotlink has like 23 million, 24 million, somewhere in that range around there, creeping up on 600 million. They'll probably hit 600 million before the end of the year, which is just, you know, whatever I want to look at, I could say I want to see scratch players from 100 yards in the fairway when the wind is Five miles an hour off the left and they made bogey on the last hole. And I'd get like four thousand <laughs> <Jeez>. shots. <laughs> it's it's crazy. So it's I'm a kidney candy store.
1: I imagine the spreadsheets just must be like massive. Like how much RAM do you have on your computer, not to get nerdy on you. <laughs> Hopefully you I'm a not, lot not of using memory. spreadsheets okay. for okay. Yeah, what do yeah, you get this using, from?
2: Yeah, other other stuff. Okay, uh, you know, not not spreadsheets. Good. I don't know that that would be even possible with spreadsheets to do so That some just show, That
1: just goes to show you. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Let's take it from the top. Yeah. What? What I always like to ask the question. What is a good tee shot? You've looked at all these shots. You've looked at handicap levels. It's the. It's a balance, obviously, but you know, based on everything you've seen on different handicap levels, and you've looked at shot length, like, what's a good tee shot?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, let's. Keep it to amateur players, right? let sure. So let's, let's just stick with AMs because that's what we all are. Imagine most of your audience is amateurs. So for an amateur player, one, keeping it in play is more important than anything else. Fairways are extremely overrated for amateurs. There's not much of a difference in scoring for us to be extremely worried about prioritizing fairways for amateur players. So if you have a shot from the fairway and a shot from the rough of the same distance, it's only 0.09 shots to like 0.14 shots, roughly, depending on the distance, depending on the skill level. There's only, you know, call it a 10th of a shot difference. And it fluctuates a little bit between being in the fairway and being in the rough. So, you know, being in the fairway is clearly better. We we want to be in the fairway, but being in the rough is not a massive penalty. And what is a massive penalty is having to reload or hitting it into a hazard and having to drop and hitting three or blasting it into the trees and having to come out sideways. Those are huge problems. And those are the things we need to eliminate as amateur players. So a success for an am off the tee is one, having a reasonable opportunity to hit the green in regulation for your next shot. That's all that it is. And I wouldn't penalize somebody if they hit it into, you know, what I would call normal-ish rough and they just end up getting a brutal lie and they they can't really advance it to the green just because of the rubber the green of that lie. I would still count that as a successful tee shot. The other thing is, you know, you want to hit it reasonably solid. It doesn't need to be you know the longest drive you've hit. This season, it just needs to be reasonably solid. And what would reasonably solid be? You know, if if your average or median distance with driver is just to make it easy with the math, if it's 250, 90% of that. 85 to 95, 85 to 90% of whatever your average or median distance is, however you want to think of it. Those are two different things, but I tend to not use median because people are like, well, what does the median mean? Is that the average? I don't want to get into it.
1: Stat hole. Exactly.
2: (laughs) So 85 to 90% of what you typically hit it and giving yourself a reasonable shot. That's a huge success for amateur players. And when I look at rounds in detail on people that played well, there's not this massive uptick in fairways hit. It it just not how it works. The last thing I'll say before I stop blabbering on is, we typically want to avoid bunkers as well. Amateur players are typically not very good from bunkers, whether it be fairway bunkers, greenside bunkers. We're we're not that good, so we need to avoid those. So,
0: what's the penalty for being in the bunker
2: on skill level? It can be pretty significant. It can be over a full distance. stroke
0: for some yeah, players, right? Seen, you know, yeah, I can
2: look it. some of these up pretty pretty quickly. I got my my stuff here, but it, it can be pretty
0: significant. So, so that point one of a shot penalty for amateurs for for the rough that's higher for pros, isn't it? It's closer to point two, point three every time they hit. Yeah, the Yeah,
2: really. It depends on it depends on rough height. It it'll it'll vary anywhere from you know really short rough like two inch rough uh, and type of rough impacts it as well. Like zero point one eight roughly to a half a shot, 0.55 shot you know, a little bit more than a half a shot, depending on rough. So U.S. Open rough, kind of a half shot penalty. Pitch and putt out in Reno, it's probably two-tenths of a shot right around there. Much more for pros. Here's what I would say to that. It's not typically that the rough is significantly harder for professionals with what they're playing. I think for the most part, they're playing rough that's of typical height to what we see on all our go. Golf courses every day, and and I would almost. I wish I had data on this, and I've talked to this with Dr. Brandon Horvath. I don't know if you know who, Dr. Horvath. He's a I yeah, we know him or, from
1: Twitter. He's yeah, yeah. So he's a professor. Yeah, we got to get him on this show to talk about yeah, oh, why, why the area <laughs> golf courses so people don't get angry.
2: Super smart. <laughs> uh, he'd be a great guest, and I've chatted with him a little bit about this, and I, I wish I had some data, but I I would say that. Uh, a lot of the g- golf courses that we all play, their rough might be a little bit higher because they probably don't have maintenance crews that are out there every day, you know, keeping the course and they're not cutting the the rough three or four times a week. They're cutting it one to two times a week. So depending on when you catch it, you might have higher rough. It's not that the rough is tougher for PGA Tour players. It's just, they are so good. And when you, get them in the fairway, they have complete control over the golf ball, right? So they have so much more control out of the fairway. It's not that they're playing tough or rough. Hopefully that makes sense the way I described it.
1: To me, it would be like their fairway shots are so exceptional Compared to the rough ones, whereas an amateur player, like they're not going to increase their performance that much from the fairway because they they can't control impact conditions the same way. That doesn't make sense.
2: And, you know, I almost think there's – and this would be a question for Adam. I I think there's probably some subset of the amateur population – that is going to perform a little bit better out of the rough especially rough where it sits up a little bit oh yeah mark of-
1: brody said that when he came on our show yeah. he absolutely he? said yeah. that when it sits, you know it actually helps some players because you're getting like a, a flyer helps a lot of players
0: sure yeah feel very shallow which lots of golfers are trying to hit up on it then when it's teed up a little bit on top of rough then yeah they're gonna get better strikes out of it
1: that's a great place to start. Everything you said is obviously music to my ears. We're always trying to remind golfers what is the goal off the tee? What is success off the tee? And it is the priority is keeping it in play. And if, you know, that has, we've talked strategy on the show. It has strategic implications. If you're always want to be in the center of the fairway and that's where you're aiming every time and there's, you're bringing maybe more trouble on the right side of the hole where the left side is totally innocuous it's okay to aim away from that and go up the left side of the fairway depending on skill level. There's so many holes you come across where you can aim away from the trouble and say, "Okay, if I hit in the rough, that's okay."
0: Yeah. Um, I avoided that sure.
1: bunker, I avoided those trees. There's a reasonable trade-off to put the odds in your favor. I know we have a lot we have a lot to get to, so let, let's go with the topic that always everyone wants to know and it's going to be a little bit of a downer for everyone. Let's talk about distance trends by handicap level because I always want to get this out there because the thing about distance in golf is that you know there's been this massive distance explosion at, at the pro level for a number of reasons. You know, Better athletes, better access to training, better equipment, launch monitors, all that. It all plays a role. But there hasn't been the same explosion at the amateur level. And I don't want people to think, that they need to drive at 300 to play well, but adding some distance is reasonable. So let's go through some of the the distance trends you see by handicap level, what, what correlation there is, and, and what kind of you know how far are people actually hitting it on the golf course.
2: Distance is a is a huge advantage. It always has been. It always will be. There is a very strong relationship between how far you hit it and what your index is going to be. So if you're a lower index player, you are more than likely going to be hitting the ball farther than what is typical. If you're a higher index player, you are not hitting it as far. Median distance with driver for male amateurs is you know, 218, 219, somewhere in there, which so many people struggle to believe. I'm not the only source. Arcos isn't the only source of that data. Any other data set that you've seen out there, and there, this is always... You know something that um, you know uh, th- those that have data on amateurs are putting out there. It's all around the same. Yeah, right? it's all They're the all... same.
1: When I put it in my book, the RNA and the USGA report shot scope. Any yeah. anyone like you said, anyone who's been collecting it, it's been between like two twenty 220 and two twenty five. Like it's always yeah. around there
2: it's always right around there and it's just uh, it's just what it is so amateurs are you know clearly the distance problem with amateurs is they don't have enough of it they need more of it
0: do you think that's a result of you know maybe most amateurs would say they would be looking at their top 20% of drives maybe not their best drives but they would be saying okay maybe my 20th would that be the 20th percentile drive is 260. Right. And so, you know, there might be a lot of really bad drives thrown in there for the average amateur that brings the the median down or the average down. Would that be the case? Or? I think
2: that's a huge impact, right? You know, you, you know more than anyone on this call with all of the AMs that you've worked with and you have a quad and you can see strike location and you have seen who knows how many tee shots from amateur players and They hit it all over the face, don't they? And when you're hitting it all over the face, you're going to, you know, you're not going to hit it as far. And especially when you're, you know, hitting it all over the face and you maybe put a lot of curvature on the ball, which amateurs tend to do, that can sap distance as well. So I think they're often remembering their better shots. And that is what they associate with how far they hit the ball. But unfortunately, we don't always get to play the, our best 15 or 20% of our shots every time we swing. It's just not how it works. There's 80% of our shots that are, that are worse than that or shorter than that. However you want to think of it. So, but strike location is clearly an impact. And, you know, I had, and I tweeted about this a while ago. I had, you know, someone that I knew and then a few other people that did this, that significantly shortened their driver shaft. I mean, went down to like 41, 41 and a half and saw an increase in distance. The one, the first person that reached out to me about it, they were measuring strike location and they brought their strike location so much closer to the center of the club face than swinging a 45 and a half inch driver. And I'd love to do a large scale study, trial, however you want to think of it, of 10, 15 handicaps. You know, your typical everyday weekend warrior and how they would perform with the benefits of the larger head, like that you get on a forty one inch shaft instead of forty five and a half, I'd love to see yeah. how that would turn out.
0: I could see scenarios where the the longer drives come down a little bit from the shorter shaft, but the average actually goes up a little bit because their worst drives get better, yeah
2: it's
1: exactly what happened. You lose the home run. I went with I didn't go that short, but I played forty-four for about four to five years. I went, which is shorter than normal. Yeah. And that did help me. It helped me strike it better and control the face more. And now I'm back with the longer driver. But I absolutely I saw that when I first did the testing with Woody Lash and on the G C quad, my strike location was better. So yeah, you're you're just you're losing that home run swing, which is not occurring that often. And as Woody would tell anyone who listens to the show, we don't fit clubs based on your home run swings. We fit clubs based on your more average strikes. But yeah, I think I've never seen someone go 4142, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea if you're like you said they're they're striking it all over the face. It zaps distance and accuracy. it's not a, it's not a good combination. Have you seen like any aberrations in the data? Because we're always, the thing we always get, and, and you get this more than anyone, you, your your DMs are filled with people who push back on the numbers and they're like, well, I'm different. You know, we always get those, a lot of people say, and there are exceptions in golf, but do you see a lot of people or can you, I don't even know if you say you, you can't, let me know. Are there any aberrations like scratch golfers hitting at 225? Are there a lot of sure. aberrations or, or or is it, you know? pretty close correlation
2: there's definitely some like i can i can look right here and and there's not many there's not many and if you dive into the detail what you will typically see is they will generally be a little bit older and they will be playing from tees that are 5800 yards 5700 yards and they're hitting it 210 but they're scratch players And they're playing tee is kind of appropriate for their distance. You know, if if you put them back at sixty seven hundred yards as a scratch player, that's hitting at two ten, they're probably not going to. They're still going to be good. You know, you're you're hitting. They're hitting the ball pretty solid, but they are playing from a little bit shorter distances. They are certainly the exception and not the norm. I think I'd put something out there a while ago, and I think I looked at like sub five index and below. And I want to say it was a crazy high number, like 70% of them were hitting the ball like more than 240, something like that. It was a very, very high number. And then I looked at like 12 index and worse. And it was the number of those players hitting it 240 or higher was 6%, 7%. It was extremely low. Distance is a huge correlation to being a decent player. And, and I, that's why I always encourage people to try to get longer, whether that be through speed training, whether that be through, uh, you know, working with, have you had Mike on here, Mike Carroll? Oh yeah, we had him on twice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, working with someone like Mike Carroll to get your fitness better, it's such a massive improvement to your scoring ability. You know, roughly 10 yards is going to be about a shot. You know, there's a lot of variables in play there, but know, I looked at people that gained distance year over year in Arcos, and if you gained more than 10 yards versus your prior year, there was, I want to say it was 85% chance that your scoring improved by, was it more than a shot? So it's a huge opportunity to lower your scores by getting longer, for sure.
1: Have you seen, I think one of the, the the great takeaways I had from Mark Brody's book, Every Shot Counts and his research was that, you know, he found that distance was more value. Like if you gave uh, 20 yards extra distance to a pro versus a 15 handicap would benefit greatly more from that. Like distance is worth more to regular golfers than it is to, the, I mean, they're chasing it too for different reasons. They're They're trying to grind out quarters of a stroke against each other you you see that in the database too like when you when you get the the 5 10 15 20 handicaps getting more distance it really like pumps up their scoring ability quite a bit
2: yeah yeah definitely 100% there's def you you are going to benefit a lot more if you're a higher handicap player you know typically there's a there's a big if we're just talking about something like proximity um which is going to drive being able to score better If you are looking at somebody adding 20 yards and being able to go from hitting an approach shot from 200 yards and now being able to hit it from 180, the 20 yards at that range is going to lower scores more than if you took your approach shot from 100 yards down to 80 yards. So, as you start to get closer to the hole, it starts to fall off with the benefit. There's still a benefit. There's always a benefit of being closer, but it starts to lessen as you get closer to the hole. And so, typically, what is going to be behind the improvement for the higher handicap players is they were hitting approach shots from a lot farther away, and they're in that range where 20 yards is going to result in more strokes and somebody that you know was already bombing it, and now just gets it a little bit closer.
0: Well, for for guys at those those levels, it's or those levels of distance, it's the difference between not being able to reach a long par four in two versus now being able to reach it. Yeah,
1: yeah and and even and the impact, you know, when you're trying to hit a 200 yard approach shot or 190. A lot of fifteen hand. What are they going to do? They're going to chunk a few. They're going to skull a few. Like there's going to be a lot of shots where they still have a hundred yards in after that. Versus if you got them closer, like they're just, again just all back to proximity. It's you know PJ Tor pro. You put them at one eighty or two hundred. Like they're still going to strike it well. They're still going to do everything well. Right. Will they hit it as close? No, but they're going to hit pretty good shots all the time. Whereas. You put a three wood in someone's hand or a five wood or a hybrid, they're going to top a few of them. It just, the game is so much harder from those distances. And that's why approach play, especially 150 yards to 200 yards, you get it closer in there, your opportunities go up big time. So it was interesting you said the 100 to 80 yards isn't it's worth as much because those just don't challenge you as much from an impact perspective. Like anyone can hit those shots reasonably well. It's It's the longer ones that, You'd see it on any course. That's what the, the average golfer really struggles with.
2: Yeah, and the other benefit too to, to adding that speed and getting longer is out of the rough. If you've ever seen a slower swing speed, you know, mid to high handicapper try to hit three wood out of the rough, that typically doesn't go too well. And so, <laughs> if you can get shot. them 20 yards closer and now they have more swing speed, it gives them more opportunities to advance the ball closer to the green than they otherwise were and closer typically is better and closer is typically going to result in lower scores so there's so much benefit to getting longer and you know with a little bit of effort it's something that so many players can do i've had so many people over the last few years that have connected with me about gaining swing speed to help out their game Know certainly not as much as somebody like Mike, but they're connecting with me on the data side of things, the stats side of things, and the uptake that they see with a you know relatively minimal amount of effort to get longer is well worth the time.
1: Yeah, and this is something we've covered a million times on the show. If this is your first episode, Sweet Spot is an evergreen library. So Adam and I have done episodes on increasing driver distance. We've had Mike Carroll on. We've had the Super Speed guys on. We've had Sasha McKenzie on. We have a lot of resources on this show for how to hit it farther. It's a combination of impact conditions with driver, location. You know, we talked about hitting up on it in some episodes and some other stuff. And then there's the speed element and it's within range for anyone. You know, you don't have to do anything crazy. There, There's some limited effort you can put in that will, will yield quick gains. And it's you know, everywhere you look, lose data anywhere else. It holds up like the game becomes easier when you can add 10 to 20 yards with your driver, and it, it's not a huge ask. Even with driver fittings, you can go to our episode with Woody Lashing
0: From a technical perspective, you know, talking about hitting out of the rough, once you have more speed, yeah, it's advantageous from the drive. Then your next shot, if you're hitting a, an eight iron instead of a six iron, you're going to be able to cut through the rough more with with more speed, because there's higher loft on the club, or rather because there's a shorter shaft, the angle of attack is going to be steeper with that club as well. So you're getting through, you're having to go through less rough to get to the ball, to get to the back of the ball. Even the exit of the ball, you know, once you're hitting a shot with more loft, that ball is going to initially launch higher. It's going to get out of the rough quicker. So it's going to have more control. And then even from a spin loft perspective, if you're hitting an eight iron in versus a six iron any error that you make with club face direction is going to be minimized by having a higher lofty club. So, you know, those are the physics-based reasons, at least, or geometry-based reasons why speed helps us score lower and get a closer proximity. Yeah, love it.
1: All right. So, obviously, distance is important, but perhaps equally as important getting back to the original point we first talked about is keeping it in play. We love talking about dispersion. What have you, I'm sure you've looked through a lot of it. What have you seen? <laughs> what have you seen in that dark data of the dispersion on people's drivers and tea clubs?
2: Yeah, everybody's, you know, here everyone's different. This is why it is very important to know that bit of information. You know, know your own stats, know how much room you need off the tee. To minimize penalty strokes, minimize putting yourself, you know, in the middle of the woods and having to come out backwards or sideways. It varies widely, right? There's some players that, you know, need 57, 58, 59 yards of room. They're relatively accurate players and they don't hit it very far, right? It's it's a whole lot harder. Like I can block it off the planet. I have okay club head speed and I can deliver the club with a wide open face and just, I can hit it miles (laughs) right. If you only hit it 220, 210, you know, you can still hit it wide, but you're not going to hit it as wide as, you know, somebody with with faster club head speed. And so, it's important to know your dispersion and how much room you need. So, that some of the tightest players are 57 yards-ish.
1: So, you would consider that above average –
2: Oh yeah, I dispersion. mean, tour pros. Because I think that's six, tight, yeah, that, yeah, I think that
1: will shock a lot of people. Like yeah, that, that's that, it, that's, that's crazy tight. Some People think are, it's like twenty or thirty yards. It's not. <laughs> yeah, but these
2: are typically when I see when I find players like that, they are typically older, um, very low single digit players that hit it two ten. All right, and they are just striping it out there two ten, and they don't get too far offline. And there are some players that need a hundred yards. They're just, you know, they, they swing it at 105 miles per hour. They can get it out there 265, 270, but it's all over the map. And those are the kind of players where they would step, you know, they'd go to a course in Florida with houses on bo- both sides <laughs> and there's 95 right. yards between the stakes and it's probably not quite enough for them.
1: I've got some bad memories in Florida when i I used to be really wild off the tee and I played yeah. a lot of I played a lot of golf down there in the winters and unfortunately p j national I'll admit to this publicly I don't think anyone will be able to identify the house but i definitely i hit, I hit a couple of roofs for sure it, <laughs> oh it was yeah bad. i was one i've of those hit guys. plenty
2: plenty of houses I hit a house with a six iron last
1: summer down. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Off the tee, a house with a six iron. So, I'd like yeah, you to see, see you top that. <laughs>
1: I actually, there there's a course near me. It's very reminiscent of a Florida course. It's strange that it's on Long Island, but it's, you know, it's in, you know, there's houses everywhere and they actually had a sign on one of the tees where they were essentially telling people, if you're wild off the tee, like, please don't hit driver. I'd never seen it before, but I thought that was pretty interesting. It was like a huge warning sign.
2: <laughs> you, you guys probably already know the answer to this, but who lives on a golf course? on the right side of a hole about 215 <laughs> yards from yeah. the tee
1: box. Your property value goes down.
2: Who lives there? What's the answer to that question? Who lives on a golf course about 215 oh, yards Oh, it's
1: a trivia question. I don't yeah. know.
2: Somebody that doesn't golf.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cuz they have right. no idea what they're getting
0: the, into the, when they buy the, that house. <laughs> the
1: wipey fade is coming yeah. after you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well I just got a question question for you regarding dispersion. How do you define dispersion? You know, is it just as simple as the most right to the most left or are you taking away some outliers in that?
2: Typically when I look at it I'm looking at, at one standard deviation for the player and what's their standard deviation east west? I'll also look at north south, but that's more for approach shot clubs. But I look at their standard deviation east west. So take all of their all of their tee shots. How far offline was each one of them? And then take the standard deviation east, east, west. You typically, you know, you want to be about two standard deviations away from trouble when you're picking a target. Roughly around there. In Mark Brody's book,
1: I'm trying to remember my statistics classes. That's 68 percent and 95. That's
2: one. That, yeah, it's 68, 68's 95, one. roughly. Okay. Yeah,
0: 68 is one, 95 is two. So my standard deviation with a driver is about 15. 15- 15 yards or that's so.
2: really good that's super yeah I mean yeah, on,
0: on a yeah. block practice and I am a good driver yeah. of the ball that's that's well accuracy wise but yeah
2: and so i I'll have players when I'll start when I start working with players I have them go through an exercise where they start to gather that data for me where they'll go out and and I prefer that they do it on course it's a lot different in a simulator or you know hitting into a net or on a driving range I prefer they do it on course where they're simply going out and they're picking a target ideally, you know it's something easy, middle of the fairway, edge of the fairway, whatever it happens to be for that hole, and then when they get out there, they are pacing off or lasering off how far left or right they were of their intended line, and then they you know track 60, 70, 80, 90, hundred of those and give me the data and we and we use that to figure out how much of a window that they need so You know, there's some D1 college players I've worked with in the past that you know need 60 yards, and there's some that need 74 yards. And if you are a player that needs 74 yards and you're using a number less than that, you're not going to be as optimized, right? And then the opposite is true. If you're a really straight driver of the golf ball and you're using a bigger number, and you get to a tight hole that has a 60 yard window, and you're like, eh, it's just not enough. You know, you're not going to be optimized, and and then. You, know, you also need to, to change that based on wind. You know, into the wind or downwind changes dispersion significantly. And when you get into the wind on something and it's, a, you know, you got 70 yards worth of room and it's into a 7 to 10 mile an hour breeze, your dispersion is probably going to get big enough where, you know, you, you might not have enough room anymore. And downwind, the opposite is true. Like if it's straight downwind. It straightens everything out and your dispersion gets a lot tighter. So, you know, there's no, you know, one perfect answer. It, it's always constantly changing. And, and all you can do is try to be as directionally correct as possible, knowing that it's not going to be perfect. Making these kind of decisions and understanding these things is a whole lot better than just kind of winging it and not really knowing what you're doing or why you're doing it.
1: We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Lynxwear. They just released their new Lux G Shoes, which is their first big release of 2024, and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour-level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for, with their Wonder Luxe midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot an antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off the Lux G's shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code Spot. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
0: So you'd say, in terms of how far away should you aim from big trouble, like out of bounds? Is there a rule of thumb for that? You said two two standard deviations. Is that right?
2: Yeah, about two standard deviations. Like in Brody's book, he talks about how often you should you know hit it an OB, and for different skill. Again, some of this changes based on on the hole and the length of the hole and what you would leave, and and what the hazard might be. So some of that changes, but it's around five percent. Um, you know, you don't want to hit more than five percent of your golf balls OB. That's why if you use two standard deviations, you know, five percent are kind of your outliers. You know, two and a half percent on either side, and that kind of gives you a rough ballpark.
1: The best way I could wrap my head around it was the bigger the trouble, and OB is the biggest trouble, and then you know, bunker and trees could be second and third to that the bigger the trouble, the more you aim away from it, if you have that opportunity to do so. And on top of that, the lower the skill level, the more they're going to have to aim away from it. So being a scratch golfer and there was trouble up the right side and nothing on the left, well, the scratch golfer can like maybe chase a little bit up the left side of the fairway a bit just to adjust away from it because their dispersion is going to be tighter. Whereas the 15 handicap, it might make sense for them to aim in t- just into the rough so they make yeah. sure that they're not going to hit it OB. No question. So yeah, Yeah. like you said, there's there's different answers for different handicap levels. But the way I always thought about it is like bigger trouble, aim farther away if you can. And then less skilled you are, the more you have to – farther you have to aim away too just because you you just can't control the face and strike as well.
2: Yeah. Part of this topic, and I I think it's something you wanted to touch on, is you'll get into a situation and players will drop to 3-wood for accuracy.
1: Yeah, let's bring that up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's just typically not – a, a smart play. So when I look at this data in Arcos and I look at the player level, so I look and see how John Sherman does with his driver. I look and see how John Sherman does with his three wood. Most players. So just looking at it from a fairway percentage hit, most players are only going to hit about one to three percent more fairways with their three wood than their driver. Marginal increase in fairways hit. When you look at dispersion the dispersion with driver is really almost identical to the dispersion with 3 wood very 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 similar it's a little bit tighter with 3 wood but it's it's not materially tighter with 3 wood but what is significantly different is the distance that you hit it 3 wood is going to on the whole be shorter than driver When you look at things like, you know, the percentage of shots that are within 30 yards of the center of the fairway, it's only, depending on skill level, it's only about 2% different. So, you know, you're only going to have 2% more shots, you know, within 30 yards of the center of the fairway with your three wood versus your driver. It's pretty small. It's not, you're not going to pick up a lot of accuracy. You are going to be shorter. So when you find yourself in really tight situations you know, three wood might not be, it might be a club below three wood. It might be another club below that, depending on your skill level and what you're up against. But going on a tight hole from driver down to three wood is, it's not a recipe that's going to really lower your scores.
1: I did a thing, I think it was five years ago I did this, where I tested my driver versus my three wood on a launch monitor. I got all the shot scope data. I, I talked to Woody about it. And same thing, like there was no evidence to suggest golfers were hitting the three wood straighter. They were certainly losing distance. So it was a bad trade off. And one of the main reasons why, and Woody was, I think, the best resource on this, was that, you know, three woods are, it's still a long shaft and it's a very small head. And they are designed to be hit off the ground. And because of that trade off, because the driver is so big and d- designed to be hit off the tee, it has much more MOI, which is forgiveness. And a three wood has, you know, a driver will have two to three times the amount of MOI. So you're hitting a long club with a small face with less forgiveness and golfers aren't striking it that well. So that's why it's not going as straight when you strike it off the center. Gear effect plays more of a disproportionate role than driver. So it's going to go offline and you lose distance. So I, I literally found no, even in my own game, like when I tested it under no pressure, I was actually tighter with my driver than the three would. I don't have a three wood in my bag anymore. I think I believe it. Yeah, (laughs) I I I I, dropped the club. It it served me no purpose whatsoever. I couldn't hit it that well off the ground. I needed more loft, and off the tee, I didn't hit it as far as my driver, and it was a little bit wilder. So, I think that's one of like the big myths. I'm glad you found that too. Is that you know if you're if you're just defaulting to a three wood on a tighter hole. You're already losing distance, and you're not gaining accuracy more likely. So you're no. just losing strokes. You know, that, another way to
2: think of this in non-math terms is your biggest miss with three wood is going to be as bad as your biggest miss with driver, and you're going to hit just as many of them.
1: So I topped my three. It's the only club in my bag. You no, know, I was ever talking.
0: To- yeah, I, I was to- talking well, with I know, the- Will. Will not yeah. amateurs. Yeah,
1: I mean. Plus yeah. five handicap saying the same thing. Like it's the only club in my bag that I ever top.
2: That's why I, I took I my three-wood out I of play topped, too.
1: Yeah, I haven't topped the driver in I don't know how many years, but I have many memories of topping three-woods off the tee on approach shots. So, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> throw, throw that into the numbers.
2: <laughs> I took mine out of, out of play as well. And, and I have a 16 uh, and a sixteen and a half degree, you know, four-wood in the bag. It's shortened up by a little bit as well from whatever a stock four would would be. It's shortened by an inch, and I've lost a, a smidge of distance. But uh, it's so much easier to to play that club than it was the three wood. So it, overall, it's performing significantly better for me. So, yeah, not but a great, fan of the three wood myself.
1: Yeah, a great takeaway for everyone is if you do use a system like Arcos Shot Scope, you know the at app, whatever apps you use, and you can track. Get a visual representation on the course when you're under pressure and start looking at these shot patterns and seeing what they are. If you have a launch monitor, that's good too. But that was powerful for me. Once I could see how wide it was, it gave me more confidence to actually hit driver in more situations.
2: Yeah. Yeah. In your book, you put one of my graphics up there from a really good amateur player in his dispersion with driver.
1: it Um, It was wider than most would think.
2: Way wider than most would think yeah. and pe- people were saying, "Ah this, you know this player is not all that good if that's what their driver looks like." <laughs> this player has played in the masters and played and yeah, made a cut yeah. at the US Open last year and is you know number two on PGA Tour University right now so unless you can say the same, he's probably better than you um, more than likely so
0: I was going to go back to the three word and driver in terms of just the physics of it you know if you hit your driver 250 and you hit your three-wood 220, if you made the same error, say you presented the face three degrees closed, the driver would go about 30 yards offline and the three-wood would go 24 yards offline. So there's a a little bit of difference there, but then when you add on the difficulty of hitting a three-wood, And, you know, the increasing in gear effect that might be with a three-wood that drivers are able to offset through increased bulge and roll on the face. Your worst one with a three-wood is probably going to be close to your worst one with a driver as well.
2: Yeah. Do you – so in all of your teaching with AMS, why do they struggle so much hitting three-wood off the turf?
0: Because it's a longer club, It means the club is coming in very shallow through impact, and obviously, like we're trying to get that ball up in the air with, you know, a three wood that doesn't have a lot of loft. So people naturally place the ball farther forwards in their stance, so they're coming in usually with more neutral angles of attack. Or if you're a bad player, they might even be trying to hit slightly up on it in order to get the ball up in the air, and that's just not conducive to good ball then turf strikes. So it's it's when you combine that with the length of the shaft and the ease of you know, if if you just drop a tiny bit in, even with an iron that's coming in relatively steep, it's gonna result in a big fat contact. When you add a shallower or a wider arc at the bottom, that actually it makes it slightly worse with shallower angles of attack. So, yeah, it's just just a strike issue, really. It's uh, competing things, trying to get the ball up in the air while trying to strike it well as well. If you've got a lot of speed, you can put the ball farther back in the stance and still get a negative angle attack with a a, a three-wood and still get the ball to go up in the air. But most amateurs don't have that speed. If they used a tall pro's three-wood technique, they'd hit it very, very low.
2: Sounds a lot like me with playing it way back in the stance. And smashing down on it. Yeah.
1: I never solved that equation. I just went to a five wood now. <laughs> I just bypassed it. I just, uh, not a good club for me. And many other, we, we did an episode on Woody on Fairway Woods and we talked about that. Like most golfers just, they just need more loft.
0: Yeah. It's got a 16 degree driver. Three
1: wood just doesn't have enough. Yeah. It, it's, that's why these mini drivers are, are good ideas for some players too. Anyway. So yeah, dispersion, that is, I think, one of, to reiterate again, I think that that is one of the benefits of keeping track. Whether it's a launch monitor on the course, take a look. I think you'll be surprised, and you'll make and you'll have you'll make better decisions, and you'll be more confident in those decisions. If you can plan out your tee shots and look at a course, you know a lot of the stuff I learned from Scott and Decade. That was really the big game changer for me when I first learned about that stuff. Is like, wow, I can really like. Look at these courses, pick my targets, understand what are reasonable left to right outcomes with the driver or maybe it doesn't make sense to hit the driver. And then I step up to the tee with the decision made in my target and that frees me up to execute. And more importantly, you know, if you do hit one in the bunker or out of bounds, like you have to understand like, yeah, that is part of that. Outcome. That's okay. It is like you're never going to eliminate them. Hopefully, it's only part of that 5%, that second with between what the, the last standard deviation, but that's part of it too. So, it actually, I thought, helped me accept those really crappy outcomes too. So, dispersion is just super important.
2: Yeah. You know, I think that I think the benefit there, and you kind of hit on it, is talking about Scott and Decade making those better decisions. And if you can make a decision that is going to either choosing a better club or choosing a better target and once a hole, if you can do that, and it saves you 0.05 shots once a hole, that adds up pretty quick to you know roughly a shot, nearly a shot around without doing anything other than making one good decision around or one better decision a hole. That's a lot of Opportunity just from doing nothing other than understanding some of these things and applying them, and typically you'll save more than that. So it, it's it's low hanging fruit, in my opinion.
1: Do we have data on penalty shots? The uh oh, you know, <laughs> I do.
2: I do, but I don't know that I have them in front of me, but it, you know, it's pretty
1: just it's, broad. Like, I mean, I, I'm sure it's not surprising, you know, by, by handicap yeah. level, but you know, what do you higher, say? Higher the your higher your handicap, handicaps, more, the more penalties. Make. Yeah. That and, and that's, <laughs> and, and that's really like the, it's such a hard cause I got this question all the time from people. It's like, well, like, I'm losing two or three balls around. Like, what can I do? I think there's some strategic opportunities there. Like maybe they aren't, Aiming away from the trouble enough. And then then we get into the realm of face control and strike issues, which is probably a lot of it. And yeah, for a lot of golfers, that that is the big challenge of golf is how can I keep that ball in play? Because as you started the episode off with, like that is that's the biggest problem to solve, in my opinion. The distance is nice. You know, if you're driving at 230, going to 250 is gonna be like that's gonna give you some. Some scoring advantages there. But, you know, if you're that golfer who's stepping up to the tee and you're like, I have no idea where this is going, that's a tough way to play the game because it just puts pressure on everything else. And then you are, you know, you're getting into those penalty and, and, and recovery situations more often.
2: Yeah, no question. Keeping it in play is paramount for AMs uh, w- without a doubt. And the higher handicap you are, the more you're hitting OB. And when I look in the data on that, a lot of it comes with driver. There's a lot of players, you know, going through two, three, four, or more balls around by hitting it into bad situations off the tee. Some of that could be better target selection. Some of it could be club. I'm able to see, you know, some things like that in Arcos, and I, I can see, you know, players on holes that are tight with just not enough room, and you know, wailing away with driver. And you know in reloading uh because they just they're gonna hit a lot of balls o b uh they need a lot of room, and so understanding that is gonna help you reduce that either by having some good information to work with your coach on or by choosing different clubs in those situations where you just don't have enough room to hit driver
0: when is a case where you'd recommend not hitting driver so you've got out of bounds either side and there's not four standard deviations between the. Out-of-lands. Yeah,
2: you need to drop down to a club that is going to be within those constraints. So it, it's probably not a three wood. It, it's gonna and it may not be your next shortest club. It may be a club lower than that. You know, you may have to if your next club after your three wood is a hybrid. You know, a, a three hybrid or four hybrid. It may be one less than that if it's an extremely tight hole. It could be. And, and so, understanding your side-to-side dispersion throughout the bag is pretty important. You might find yourself in a spot where, you know, you need seven iron off the tee on some – I've seen some crazy holes. People send me, what should I do on this hole? And they'll send me maybe a picture of it and I'll look at it and i go, what the <laughs> – what is this thing? Yeah. Who made this golf hole? Like there's houses on both sides, and there's you know thirty five yards from backyard to backyard. Like there's just no it's a bowling alley. It's not a golf hole. What are you? What's going on here? And you know, hit putter off <laughs> You'll the tee.
0: Have te- to put those on Twitter. Yeah,
2: put it down the fairway. You don't want to. You can't hit anything <laughs> in the air here. So it really depends on the player, and it's all going to be different for every player. You know, there's no one size fits all for this. It depends on how good or how bad you are. And that's the, you know, at at PGA Tour level, for the most part, they are all relatively close to each other in skill. There's not a massive, massive gap between, you know, the best and the worst. I will say there have been some players in the past that, that have had driver yips. You know, you look at some of their data and you're like, ooh, ouch, and they're not out there anymore, and I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus and name any names. But typically, you know, if you look at anyone that's keeping their card year to year, there's not a massive difference between the best and the worst. But when you look at amateur players, there can be a huge variance in performance for whatever category of the game you're looking at for players that have the same overall skill level. So said another way, if you have two 10 handicaps standing next to each other, you can have one that's putting like a scratch player, a typical scratch player, and another putting like a typical 20 handicap. Remember, they're both 10 indexes. How many shots do you get? I get 10. I get 10 too. But one puts like a scratch and one puts like a 20. There's a huge gap between a 20 and a scratch with putting skills and ability. And the same thing translates over to driver and to approach play. You can have players with the same handicap index, very, very wide skill difference in every part of the game, which is why it's so important to know where you fit on that curve so you can focus on things to help you get better.
0: And Strokes Gained data will give you that. Yeah, Yeah, well,
1: that's a perfect segue to my next question topic is Strokes Gained. You know, now all these apps are giving it. How do you, you know, when you're working with players or looking through the strokes gain data, like what are you seeing on there? Because I think some people still don't understand like how it's calculated. I don't know if they need to know all the math, but give us a little refresher on what strokes gained off the tee would be taking into account.
2: So it's just comparing you to strokes gain compares you against an average baseline. So if you take all the 10 handicaps and you put them on a 400 yard hole and they all played it you know, a million, 10 handicaps, and they all played 400-yard holes, and that's all they did. You'd keep track of the average score for all those rounds, and whatever the average is, that's the baseline for 10 handicaps on a 400-yard hole. And let's say to make the math easier, it's four shots. It's not. It's way higher than that. That's what it would be <laughs> for a PGA Tour player. But it's four strokes from 400 yards away. And they hit a tee shot, and they bombed one down there in the fairway, and they are in a spot where it's only going to take them 2.7 shots to get the ball in the hole. So they started four shots from the hole. They finished 2.7 shots from the hole. They're going to gain three-tenths of a shot on that. That's math. That's some numbers. People are probably tuning out. The other way, the analogy that I give on strokes gained and how to think of it, and this clicks with a lot of people, if I ask them, how long does it take you? So John, do you do you drive your daughter to school?
1: No, she gets on the bus.
2: She gets on the bus. If you did. <laughs> Sorry. You?
1: If I did, it would take uh <laughs> How how long? so the... how
2: far away is school? How far away oh, is?
1: It's it? 0.7 miles I've walked.
2: Boom. In. So you you said 0. 0.7 miles. Um how far away is the mall?
1: 7 miles? Like you're on you, most, <laughs> <Five> people, <laughs> you're <laughs> most people how, 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 how do they answer that?
2: You're not playing <laughs> along. Most people how how do how do they answer that? How far, they they say it's 15 minutes. It's a 15 minute drive, 15 minute drive. It's a 10 minute drive. That's how most people would answer. How long does it take you to get to work? Or how far away is work? And they'll say it's a 10 minute drive. It's a 15 minute drive. Well, you can think of that. So you can answer that question two ways and you just answered it one way. So how far, you know, how long does it take you to get to school? 0.7 miles. Or it's a five minute ride. Saying 0.7 miles is like saying I'm a hundred yards from the hole saying it's five minutes is like saying I'm 2.7 shots from the hole. So it's just a different way to measure how far away you are from the hole. We can either measure the distance to school by saying it's 0.7 miles, or we can say it's five minute ride in the car. So same thing with golf. And then it's just to calculate your strokes gained. All you're looking at is how far away did you start from the hole in terms of how many shots you are away. And after your shot, how many shots do you have left to get in the hole? So how far away are you from the hole in terms of how many shots it's going to take you to get into the hole? And then the difference between those two minus one gives you how many strokes you gained or lost on that. So it's super important to, to know what your strokes gained is. I don't know that it's super important for you to, to understand the math behind it, although it's really simple. There's uh, some good videos out there that, that walk through it if you haven't read Every Shot Counts, I know you've had Brody on here. If you haven't read Every Shot Counts as an amateur player, you have to read that. It it should be required reading if you're serious about improving so you can understand these concepts in a lot of detail. But most important for you is if I ask you the question, you know, what's your strokes gained off the tee? John, what's your strokes gained off the tee?
1: I think Mark measured me. I played with him once and I was like a plus three or plus four handicap off the tee, but I'm not sure what the actual strokes gained was. I'm not sure what the benchmark was.
2: So that is a, if somebody can't answer that question and say, you know, I gained 0.75 shots off the tee versus a scratch player. If somebody can't answer that question, they need to be able to answer that question. It's an extremely, yeah, I have, extremely unfortunately,
1: I've because I've guinea-pigged so many systems, I have yeah. to uh, go and choose. And also, I don't, the one thing I've been negligent of is because I play so many tournament rounds, I have not. For whatever reason, I don't like using the tracking system and that or worrying about it and like tagging shots on the green and stuff like that. So I, I I have to be better about that.
2: Yeah, it's so it's so important because we all have bias about what we are doing right yeah, and what we, we are remember. doing wrong. Yeah. And when you actually have that data and you know the areas that are weak, it allows you to focus on them, and it also maybe perhaps allows you to spend less time on the things you're really good at, like you don't and and I think uh, people fall into this trap of having their own personal bias about their game, and I've talked to some players about what they think they do well at, what they think they don't do well at, and then we get them to start tracking their data and it turns out more often than not that they are. They're pretty incorrect about what their own perceptions are. You know, we tend to remember something that was, uh, you know, impactful, either good or bad, and then we start to associate our performance with my nine iron. My nine iron's horrible. I'm no good at it. Or like I am. I'm really. You know, I'm an incredible short game player. When you're just not, you just maybe had a couple of rounds where it worked out really well and, and it was impactful and you remembered it, that's why it's so important. And I don't, uh, I mean, I'm part of Arcos, I'd love for someone to to get Arcos, but as a performance coach and someone that's helping out with that, I don't care if you use the back of a napkin, you have to know that if you wanna try to get better and improve.
1: Are there trends with strokes gained you're seeing in the database? Because everyone's different, you know. Like you said, if some five handicaps are losing strokes off the tee versus that level or scratch, and others are exceptional off the tee and they're losing it with iron play or putting. Right. It's more the performance of like distance and dispersion that's more important that you see strokes gained when you know you wouldn't see any trends on there, or do you? I'm just
0: curious.
2: Well, you know, strokes gained is really a, a great. When we're talking about driver, we're focused on driver. You know, for this episode, we've kind of gone off in a couple of other directions, but you know, with driver strokes gained is really a good measure of accuracy and distance together yeah it's it's a a blending of those two and
1: does every system this is what i want to understand like so let's say you drive a 280 but it's in the rough so you're getting points for distance but you lose a little bit for missing the fairway or if you're in a fairway bunker you know there's a penalty there and strokes gained as well it's differentiating where you're in the trees and obviously out of bounds that's you know massive penalty so yeah, it's 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 always the the blend of the two. But I always think the best example I always think of is like you give me two players and say, oh, they're both hitting at fifty percent fairways. I'm like, great. But one if one of them averages two eighty and one's hitting two twenty. Like that's what strokes gains tells you. Or if one's hitting three out of bounds and the other one's hitting none out of bounds or half, yeah. you know, point less, only point five times around. It's just not. It's just not enough information. It's not even close to enough.
2: No, it's not. Does ARCOS separate that out? ARCOS will give you strokes gained off the tee, and and they will give you an assessment on what you are, you know, what's contributing to your strokes gained off the tee, like how much distance contributes and how much accuracy contributes. So they break that down a little bit, and definitely some valuable information there. But if you are for your handicap or your skill level, you know, if you're hitting the ball longer than normal, you typically know, if you're hitting it shorter than normal, you typically know. It's good to have that strokes gained number. Just if if only you have if all you have is is only your strokes gained off the tee and it's not broken down saying your this your distance is contributing this much, your accuracy is con- contributing this much, just having that overall number is extremely valuable to know that number. Now it's going to allow you to benchmark yourself to other players of the skill level you're at or the skill level you want to try to get to, to let you know if it's something that you're doing well or not doing well. And if it's an area you need to focus on, either through more distance or working with your coach to get better technique, to get more accurate, whatever the case may be, having that number is a great starting point. And without that number, you are... You know, you're probably just guessing as to if it's a strength or weakness, and and by how much.
1: Yeah, we we did an episode on on stats, and we were both in agreement. It's a it's a better starting place. So if your yeah. starting place was only fairways hit, or you know up and down percentage or putts per round, like that's not a great starting place because we want to answer why. So if you're losing strokes off the tee, like why is it because is it the the Dispersion issue, or is it you're just not hitting it far enough? Sure, and that's where the homework needs to be done. I don't at the moment. I don't know my exact stroke gain, but I, I think I've learned enough stats where, like, I can look back on my rounds and think about it and be like, okay, I know impact wise what I need to be working on to make sure I'm where I want to be. But you're right; the best chance is like having the, the the data at a granular level just to make sure that you're not wasting time on something that you're already pretty damn good at, and then something else that. Perhaps needs more attention for me, for example, greenside wedge play, that needs more attention right now and I need to go there. It's a much better starting place to to answer the question of, well, why and how do I change it?
0: Sure. Yeah, definitely. I've even gone so far as to you know take golf metrics out with me and then look at the strokes lost for certain things. And so, if it says you hit a shot and you lost 0.5 of a stroke and then we go and we tally that up with the reason for it you know was it a fat contact was it a toe contact was it even a mental error like a misjudge of club and so we can even keep track of it it's, it's very labor intensive for that and i'm looking to, at a way of putting that into an app but it's a good way of giving you definite answers of or more definite answers of you're losing three strokes around from club selection errors for example sure.
2: Yeah, if you get down into that detail, you can you can certainly. There's a lot to be gleaned from that. Absolutely, no question.
1: Have you seen any like wild strokes gain numbers, or like someone's just like you just look at they're like, who is this? Somebody who's like driving at like 300 and then like they're they're like an eight handicap and they're driving at 300 and then like everything else is a total disaster. Yeah,
2: there's definitely some outliers some in stats. there for sure. Like there's one person in there and, I, and I'm pretty sure I tweeted about this, but this person was averaging maybe 260 off the tee. And hitting like 81% of fairways. It was wow. like Calvin Pete level of wow. what the heck is going on. This is <laughs> yeah. unbelievable. It was enough to make my eyes kind of pop out. It, it was far and away better than anybody else I've looked at in there. But yeah, there are, you know, there's some 15 handicaps in there that can, you know, they that have a driving distance of you know, 295. They can hit the ball all over the map, and I was I was looking at one that um, had some. You know, I looked at his east-west standard deviation. I was going through looking at players, and it came across this person, and it was it was like, "There's got to be something wrong with the data. This, is, this, is, <laughs> this can't be right. Like, what is this?" And I went and looked at a few of the rounds. And this person you know, played on a golf course that was pretty wide open. Like it was, there was no trees or no nothing anywhere. It was just, it was just a piece of property. And this person found every piece of that property <laughs> on every tee shot. So there's lots of people, lots of outliers.
1: This is maybe unrelated, but you, have you seen like certain golf courses that are disproportionately unfair? Because I don't think you know, I'm not a ratings expert, but I've been to some golf courses and I'm like, who rated this course? Do you see stuff in Arcos where you're like this course is way harder than the the rating would suggest or vice versa? Uh,
2: you know, I've never looked at that. It's a good question. I've never looked at that to see what kind of relationship there might be between scoring and yeah. rating. I'll give you
1: one to look at right now. Okay. It's called it, it's in Bermuda. It's okay. called it's called Belmont Hills and <laughs> it is the hardest. I think it's like 5,700 yards. It is a torture chamber. I played really? a tournament. I played <laughs> in a tournament there twice. It was part of the rotation. Out of bounds everywhere. Crazy elevation changes, blind shots. I, I've never white knuckled it through a round of golf in my life like this. And it was crazy windy too. It was like 30, 40 mile per hour winds. It was insane. To your point, there were some holes where I'm like, I think I have to hit like a seven iron off the tee. <laughs> I was like, a, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't, I literally didn't know what to do. It was so crazy. But yeah. do me a favor, at some homework, and maybe you could tweet it out for me. Belmont Hills in Bermuda—it's a fun golf course. But you, I'm thinking of like the 17th hole. Was like a, it was like a 400 foot drop. Like it was like a short par three, and you're like looking straight down. And you're like is this a four club elevation? Like I can't, like, what am I doing here? I mean, it's just absolutely wild. It shell shocked me, but that go look that one up and see if the scores are disproportionately high or maybe I just sucked there.
2: Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll let you know what I find out, but uh, it does sound like quite, quite the test.
0: Does strokes gain ever get adjusted for those conditions? So maybe pin locations are more difficult or, or I suppose wind would be more, more important in that regard. Because, you know, I played a course the other day and shot a couple of under, but it was so windy that day, you could barely stand. And I thought, you know, if, if it was could have been quiet, nine that under. would be more of a six. <laughs> yeah, as so, well, yeah, could have been a 59, definitely. Yeah, you know,
2: <laughs> on the PGA Tour, they do an adjustment after each round to account for that. That's kind of hard to do in amateur golf. It's kind of hard to adjust without a field I think you'll see that at some point in the future, but it's kind of hard to. Ad- ad- you know, there's there's some thought that needs to go into how you would make those adjustments. It's it's really easy when you have a field of 155 players or 75 players on the weekend or 70 players on the weekend, and you can see yeah, you, as you a- would
1: need enough Arcos users playing the same course on a day. For certain conditions, right? Yeah.
2: I mean, Is ideally. Is uh, what the
1: current handicap system's doing? Because I never get the PCC adjustment. I play in the wind all the time and it never yeah, gives it to me. They, like, they are never not enough I don't know enough people posting that day. Is that what's going on?
2: Typically, yeah. Like uh, somebody went out. I talked to somebody about this. They played a doesn't matter what the course, tough course. And they played it from the tips and they went out and a rainstorm And it was, and the wind was blowing 20 plus and it was like that all day. And they were the only two people that played that day. (laughs) The only two people. No, everyone else was smart enough not to be there that day. It was unfit for man or beast. And they played 18 (laughs) holes and played horribly. They were just intentionally trying to torture themselves. No PCC for that because nobody else
1: played. Yeah. So makes sense. Yeah.
2: Unfortunately.
1: Here's a curveball question for you that was sent to my DMs. Love it. Are you ready? Ready. I heard there was a time you were playing and your partner refused to give you a yardage to the green. Can you elaborate on what happened?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I bet I know who that came from. I bet it was the friend that wasn't going to give me that yardage. Yeah. I still still bust his chops about that. And yeah, we're playing and he would not, you know, I was off in the woods. Surprise, surprise. But I had a shot. I had an open shot. He's a hyper, hyper competitive man. He wants to crush your soul. (laughs) It doesn't matter what you're doing. He wants to win. And I wanted to I asked him for a yardage because I was so like I was almost off the property. And he just refused tight lipped <laughs> he wouldn't say a word about it. And so that I That's
1: cold blooded. Oh, I was
2: cold blooded, man. And so I still give him a hard time over that. I still give him a hard time. <laughs> yeah, good stuff.
1: All right, well, I think we, I mean, we got some of the Twitter questions were just too hard. Lou can't come up with magic here. We got a few of them. How many degrees of loft does Lou's calculator have? There's a <laughs> Six. <laughs> Six, degrees. Six degrees. Six degrees. That's <laughs> All right. that, That's good to know. Yep. <laughs> Anything else we haven't seen? Anything that strikes you off the top of your head that you've come across that we haven't discussed in terms of... of T shot performance, or did or did we get most of it?
2: I think we covered most of it. Yeah, I don't think we really missed much. It's probably a million other nuggets we can talk through, but I think t shots we got through the lion's share.
0: One thing I'd like to know, but this will probably require a post tweet. Are all levels as consistent as each other? You know, do say you take the strokes gained for a pro and the strokes gained for an amateur, and you look at the standard deviation of those. How much more inconsistent are amateurs? Do they have a day where they're like a pro with the driver, followed a day where they're like thirty, or you know, does that even happen at the elite level?
2: You know, there are again. That's uh, I'm going to answer that maybe a couple of different ways and give you a nugget that maybe you knew or di- or didn't know. You know, everybody's different, and so some people are more consistent for their overall entire game, or they're more consistent with certain parts of their game, or they're wildly inconsistent with with certain parts of their game. And so I don't know that I've ever compared the two like that with what you just asked, but I can, and put that out there. One of the things I did look at not too long ago, sort of in that vein, was I looked at players that were consistent And I wanted to try to find out what was driving their consistency. And these are players that had a pretty tight range of scores, a tighter range of scores. And those players that had a tighter range of overall scores, by far, they were really, really good short game players. they had really good short games, which may or may not surprise you. But I may have put something out around that or maybe just a blurb on it. I don't know if I put any numbers around that one. But it was, uh, it was pretty interesting to see that players that are overall pretty consistent tended to have really, really solid short games. And that's not to say, that's not to advocate that you need to go out and, and need to start working on your short game you know, night and day. But it was just an interesting takeaway from the data. Another one recently too, I'm looking at player improvement and i don't have this fully baked yet so i reserve the right to change my mind and say i was i was wrong on this but what it looks like is let's say you wanted to go from whatever skill level you were and and you are a you know a weekend warrior you know 15 handicap 10 to 15 handicap somewhere in there and you wanted to improve by a shot overall you wanted to get better by a shot what part of the game would get you there the quickest where could you improve one shot the fastest? And I think what is going to end up bubbling to the top there is putting. I think still a little work left to do, but I, I think it's I think it might be putting. From I would one. have
1: guessed green side wedges or put. Yeah, one of those two.
0: Yeah, still work there. I was thinking more midterm in terms of approach shots because there's more to gain there typically and little strategic adjustment. Yeah.
2: Well, there's some really bad putters out there, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, there, there might be. Yeah, there might be. <laughs> Yeah.
2: talk about outliers, you know, when you see a round with a lot of putts, there are some outliers there. So, there's some low-hanging fruit for people with putting, but I could say the same about every category. For some people, there's low-hanging fruit with driver or with their irons or with their around the green play. It just depends on you. Everybody's different. Knowing where you are is first step.
0: Yeah, I'd say return on time invested. So, you know, when I'm talking about tournament prep, I usually push people more towards the short game stuff because, you know, just even a few putts on the green before you go out can improve your feel and greatly improve your strokes gained there.
1: Yeah, I I always feel like, again, it, it depends, but there's a lot of quicker wins In the short game, I think that's an easier problem to solve for most players. Like if they are really bad at it, then saying like, "Well, how do I take a really bad iron player, a really bad driver?" Like I I think for most players, that's a little bit more time and effort. Where you could show someone a basic wedge technique or give them some speed control drills, and they can clean that up a little bit quicker. And I believe the ceiling is higher on that part of the game. Like you're never going to just put lights out all the time, but you can. Get to a point where it's like it's not it's not a disaster for you anymore, and then the gains are going to have to come elsewhere. But yeah, it's a, the golf's an interesting puzzle to solve. It it.
2: is. There's one (laughs) more thing that I think you guys would find really interesting, and you may have seen this, but I found it to be fascinating, especially diving into it. So I grouped players by skill level. So put all the scratch players together, the fives, the tens, etc., and then I looked at their performance. You know, within that skill level. And I was looking at the short game and I wanted to see if anything bubbled to the top with their short games. So when looking at the players with really good short games that are better players, so better player to me was like single digit, you know, eight, nine handicap or better. The players with the best short games that were single digit players, they tended to use a wider variety of clubs around the green. And the players with the worst short games of the good players, they tended to use fewer clubs around the green. So they were constantly just grabbing their 60 or grabbing their 56 or one of the two and that was it. Even in situations where they were you know, long-sided, you know, the ball was two yards from the edge of the green and they had 18 yards of green to work with or 20 yards from the hole, they're grabbing their 60 all the time, no matter what. And what was extremely interesting is for higher handicap players, so 15 index and above, it was the opposite.
1: I knew it. I knew the it. The opposite. <laughs> That's why I tell the average players, I'm like, just get one thing that yeah. you can just do and do that. And like, If you have an exceptional short game, then you're savvy around the greens or fill, then you could do so. I'm not that type of golfer. I'm just – I'm a 56 or 60 and just – But that's where I wonder, I'd
2: love to have your strokes gained to see.
1: I think I'm a perfect example of the, the scratch level player who has a below average greenside wedge play for my skill level. Yeah. I don't spend enough time, so I'm not comfortable with as many variety of shots. So I'm in tournaments with players who can do that. I see them like, wow, they can really like, they've got a lot of shots around the green. Like they're exceptional. And me where I'm just not as comfortable with delivering the loft and the ground contact and all that stuff. I'm like, you know what? Let's just not shoot yourself in the foot here. Like the strength of my game is driving an iron play and I'm a pretty good putter now. Like I'm just trying not to do damage with my wedges. And if I do get there, then I would be a little more adventurous. I think with, it, it does make sense to me. Whereas like, And that's the same theme for, I think, the higher handicap player is like, just get it on the green, just get it to 20 feet and two putt and you're on the right path. It is interesting, but not a surprise, like, because I've seen it play out in person. Like when you see a really good plus three, plus four player who can like really wedge it, you're like, wow, (laughs) it's mind blowing what they can do.
0: Yeah, for sure. But does it flip at the other end of the the scale? I can't remember exactly what level you said it changed. I know you said it changed over at 15, but- 15 handicap and above, you know, they typically, the, the best
2: short game players for the bad players, so 15 and above, the best short game players in that group, they typically use one or two clubs. They're constantly grabbing like 56 or gap wedge. And the worst short game players are using a wide variety of clubs. And they very likely don't have all those shots. Things get, you know, as the club changes length, and you would know better than I would as, as a coach. But they were clearly, if you, are a, if you have a good short game and you're a 15 handicap, you probably use way fewer clubs. And if you have a bad short game as a 15 handicap, you're probably tending to use – a much wider variety of clubs. And you just don't have the ability to pull off all those shots, I think, is what it says. It was really interesting to see how strong the relationship was there.
0: But on the lower end of the scale, was that obviously below 15, but 15 down to what? Down to scratch or even down to pro level?
2: Kind of between 15 and eight or nine index right in there. They're they're kind of a mishmash, right? They were kind of in the middle and, and it, it was no... You know, there was no clear winner. But when you got to the better players, they were the best short game players tended to use more clubs around the green. The worst used fewer. And then with bad players, 15 in and above, they were the opposite. The best short game players used fewer clubs, the worst used more clubs.
0: I would have thought that the uh, the better players, like at least at the pro level or plus figure handicappers would use fewer clubs, but they'd still have more different shots with it, you know, cause I can, I use basically a 52 for almost all my shots, but I can open the face wide up or I can lean the shaft forward and play different shots with it. So I was, uh, that is interesting. That goes against what I would have thought.
1: I think we did it all, Lou.
2: We did. Thanks for sneaking in that question. I was (laughs) kind not to name this individual (laughs) and he will remain. I will validate.
1: Well, he just, this individual just bought a bunch of books from me. So I had to ask Ah. his questions. He seemed like a, he seemed like a really nice guy. No, he's not. He's a jerk. (laughs) 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 No,
2: he's a great guy. He's one of my, (laughs) one of my closest friends. So he's a great dude.
1: Everyone's got to check out Lou. Well, you're you're part of another podcast, Hack It Out. So everyone check out that. You're one of the best Twitter follows. Hopefully Twitter is still here when this episode comes out. (laughs) Hopefully it doesn't (laughs) blow up by then.
2: Yeah, let's hope it doesn't implode.
1: (laughs) At Lou Stagner. (laughs) Lou, you got a discount. You got help people out if they want to buy Arcos. How can they get a discount through you?
2: Yeah, you can just use uh, the code data fifteen and you'll get fifteen percent discount. So yeah, feel free to feel free to use that. It's an awesome thing to add into your toolbox. Gives you a lot of great info. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out.
1: All right, well, we appreciate the time. We appreciate. I always want to give credit for data Arcos. Thanks for bringing Lou on the team and sharing all this stuff. It's awesome. It's 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 making golfers smarter, making them happier. Like, there's just so many people I see on Twitter, like tagging you, whoever, me and I share some status. It's like, wow, this is changing my relationship with golf knowing this stuff. It's so powerful that it's finally available. Because I remember like I talked to like the game golf guys back in like 2015 and 16 when that first came out and I'm like, what do you got? And they're like, well, we don't have much yet. Like it's it's so cool that years later now all this stuff is available and someone like you has access to it so you can like really bring it to life. Yeah. It's super powerful, so definitely go on like Lou's Twitter feed and, and go through this stuff. It's, it's really such awesome, like that stat you had earlier about the wedging from a hundred yards versus you know forty to sixty, where everyone thinks they're the best players in the world from a hundred and snake right. at forty. Yeah, it's just it's great stuff. So again, thank you. Now that you have the full Arcos, maybe we can do another episode with some of the greatest hits you've had since.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks again for having me, guys.
1: Yeah, Adam. Where can everyone find
0: you? Talking about driving, if you want to launch the ball better, launch it higher, lower spin to get more distance, the strike plan is available on adamyounggolf.com. And if you feel like you're missing too many shots left and right, having penalty shots, then the accuracy plan on adamyounggolf.com would be a good route to go. And John, where can people find you?
1: You can find my book, The Four Foundations of Golf, available on Amazon, where I actually have some nice stats from Lou in there. Check out the book, go to the website, practical-golf.com. Thank you to everyone who listens and your feedback. We will see you next time with a new episode.